The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Now, earlier this year, we caught up with a company who carries the name about what it does, Heavy Rare Earths Limited, nice and simple. The code is HRE, trading at 11 cents for a market cap of 7.5 million. Now, the company's made a lot of progress since we uh, last spoke to them. Uh, there's been some fascinating uh, metallurgical test work results and uh, some extra high-grade sort of hits, uh, both at a regional level and uh, around their existing resource base. But I'll let Richard Brescianini, the Managing Director, to give us a feel for just the, about the progress that has been made since we last caught up and where to next for the company in uh, the rare earth space, which is, uh, as we all know, is always fascinating. So with that, g'day, Richard. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, great to be with you, Barry. Now, I'm not sure where to start, Richard. Um, I guess we are talking about a, a, a saprolite clay-hosted super gene rare, uh, rare earth uh, mineralization, uh, where metallurgy is obviously key to these things. And I see that you uh, have been doing some met work and... Um, Fill us in on uh, what, what the findings were. Yeah, I can do that. Um, it's been uh, quite a journey to get to where we are. We only listed last uh, last August, so we've been at it for less than a year. Um, and we did kick off some very early metallurgical test work uh, in the latter part of 2022. And I'll, I'll even cover a little bit off on that today because it's quite important to what we've just achieved in in just the last little while and we only put results out yesterday. Uh, the work in the latter part of 2022 really gave us an idea of what size particles within our, our mineralized horizon of saprolite hosts the majority of the rare earths. So you've got to figure that out nice and early so you know exactly what part of your um, of your mineralization you want to target with, with your processing in order to reduce the amount of feed going into the plant. So in that earlier work back in the latter part of 2022, which we, we reported back in December of last year, what we found was that, um, that the majority of our rare earths, and uh, when we're talking the majority, we're talking about uh, around 81%, 81, 82% on average of our rare earths, magnet rare earths in particular, is hosted in the sub 25 micron fraction. So it's quite fine material, but it was important to be able to determine that it wasn't distributed over all size fractions. So you can immediately begin to target the size fraction that you need that's going to be pushing through to the process plant. So not only did we find that 82% of the rare earths was hosted in the sub 25 micron fraction, we also were able to show that that fraction was contained in just on 42% of the feed, of the, of the mass feed going into the, uh, the process, into the screening process. So that's also important to, to establish because um, if 42% is going in, then the other uh, 58% is not going in. In other words, you don't have to treat the 58% where most of the rare earths aren't, okay? 
So really, really important to be able to determine that very early. And then we also found in that work that the grade of rare earths increased twofold. So in other words, we'd start with, say, 1,000 ppm coming in, we'd screen it, and then what's coming out at the end of that screening process is 2,000 ppm, okay? So we would have had a twofold increase in, and 82% and, and of the rare earths have come through that process in 42% of the mass that was fed in. So really good news to understand exactly where our rare earths are hosted, and that becomes a starting point for what we put out just yesterday, which is all around the leach process, which is the next step in the process to be able to recover our rare earths. Now, that's that's what happened in the latter part of last year, so it's important for listeners to understand that, and that's, that's, that, that's so that we can determine what it is that we're going to treat. So yesterday, we put results out that, that uh, informed the market that in our diagnostic leach testing, we took that sub-25 micron fraction, okay, so just the stuff that contains the rare earths, forget about the rest of the stuff, it's really, really immaterial to it. You just want to get rid of that. And when we treated it with 32% uh, hydrochloric acid, which is, which is hydrochloric acid, the grade of hydrochloric acid or the concentration of hydrochloric acid that you can get commercially, when we treated that with low concentrations of that, uh, of that acid, we were able to recover an average of 82.9% of the magnet rare earths, okay, which is a very, very high amount. So what, what that's going to enable us to do eventually is to get pretty good revenue stream going of the magnet rare earths because we're pulling through more than three quarters or more than 80% of it, okay, every time we treat it with acid. Uh, very, very important to be able to determine how much, okay? But even more important is on the cost side of things. So that's the revenue side of things, which is you're recovering eight, nearly 83% of your rare earths. On the cost side of things, you've got, to, you've got to be concerned about, well, how much acid are you consuming in that process? And our test work, our diagnostic test work, was able to show us that we were producing, or sorry, we were consuming an average of 18.1 kilograms of acid for every ton of 25 micron material that comes through the through the process. So, and, and we've even achieved in certain cases down to as low as 3.8 kilograms per ton of what we call fines material, okay? Now, they are very, very low numbers. That average is a very, very low number. Now, we've got back of the envelope calculations internally that we're, we're obviously not able to disclose under 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 jork because we really have to throw a a, a, um, a scoping study around it which we're a long way off doing but i can say to investors that at those sorts of numbers on both the revenue and cost side of things where most of your costs are actually going to be uh, be accounted for in your process plant with the, with the consumption of acid the use of acid uh we'd be looking at you know quite a healthy margin uh, just on that alone. So, like, as I say, I can't disclose any more than that because I really can't put some numbers around it that that, that would be fit for Jork um, standards. But um, it's encouraged us enough to want to get on and accelerate the metallurgical program for all of the downstream work that now needs to happen to be able to produce a rare earth carbonate product. So, so I guess just to sum up that very long-winded um, explanation. 
we've identified what part of our mineralization the rare earths are hosted in, and then we've treated that part of the mineralization and achieved very, very high extractions of magnet rare earths, which is what you get paid for, at very low consumption rates of acid. So we really are quite delighted with our progress in the metallurgical realm. Could I uh, put forward one summary of you would be that, so you're well down the pathway of taking the Chinese on at their own game in terms of producing rare earths from clay deposits? I'd say that we've taken some of the very early steps to be able to do that. Uh, taking on the Chinese wouldn't be a wouldn't be an easy undertaking. I can I can guarantee you it. They've been in the business for thirty plus years uh, and, uh, and, and 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 produce and produce rare earths. Potential economic viability of the project. Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course, of course, of course. Yeah. Look, we've taken those early steps that that give us a lot of encouragement that we're on the right track here. Okay, that we're not just going to. Uh, drill out rare earths in the ground and find um, after spending a lot of money that, oh, well, actually, we can't do anything with this. These early metallurgical results is giving us a lot of encouragement. And uh, as I say, to the extent that we can begin to accelerate our metallurgical program, and it's an important thing to do at this early stage to be able to demonstrate to investors and indeed uh, project partners down the track, perhaps customers, uh, that, you know, we're starting to get a little bit serious here about um, our chances for development. Now, one thing, Richard, I've noticed is uh, a lot of your peers on the ASX are quite quick to talk about uh, adsorption clay deposits. And you said uh, you, your project, which, by the way, we should mention is Carolina, about uh, 70 kilometres uh, southeast of Norseman in WA. Uh, the word ionic never appears in your uh, statements. Is it ionic and does it matter? Uh, our mineralization is not ionic. We've uh, we've also used in our test work um, ammonium sulfate as a as a uh, reagent and also sulfuric acid, and by far the best results that we got in in relation to the amount of rare earths we extract uh, was with hydrochloric acid. So the bulk of our mineralization certainly allows us to contemplate the use of hydrochloric acid and get the sorts of revenues that would be very very important because. Let's be honest, uh, all of these clay-hosted deposits are starting with very, very modest grades in the ground. So one aim that everyone should have is to maximise the extractability of rare earths in whatever they're using, okay? Uh, we're achieving above 82% to 83%. Uh, I note that others are achieving much lower um, extractions of rare earths. Um, uh, some of them are calling their, their projects ionic. And, and may use uh, um, uh, reagents that the market believes you could acquire more cheaply. But I, again, make the point that the consumption of hydrochloric acid in our particular case is very, very low. So our expectation is on the cost side, we would keep the costs down and on the revenue side, we would, we would uh, keep them as high as possible. So that's where our focus is. I guess in answer to your question, does it really matter? No, I don't really think it does matter whether you're ionic or not ionic. You're going to still have to maximise your extractions and minimise your costs, and that's what we're doing in our particular case. The only, I guess one of the only issues with hydrochloric acid would be you have to keep a careful eye on materials you don't want in the final product. Um, so 
Is that an issue with uh, your project? It's an issue in all projects, in all rare earth projects, impurity removal. So um, investors can go to uh, figure two of our of, of yesterday's uh, release from us that shows a, a, a high-level little block flow diagram that, that shows where the impurity removal step is in the process. It's obviously post-leach. And at that point in time, which we're now starting test work on impurity removal and everything downstream from there, including the production of rare earth carbonate uh, samples, um, impurity removal is very important. Uh, you know, you, you'll have uh, certain deleterious elements or impurity elements coming through the process in the, in the leaching process, which would include iron, aluminium, magnesium, uh, uranium and thorium. And it's at the impurity removal step uh, that you're going to have to deal with those impurities. Now, I'm pretty confident that we'll deal with the impurities. The question remains, and this is the same for everyone, not just for us, uh, what will be the cost of being able to, to, uh, to remove those impurities? So that's the process that we're yet to go through um, and that I would suggest uh, just about every other rare earth um, proponent out there is yet to go to. So we'll be dealing with that um, in the next few months as we as we strive to produce our first um, samples of rare earth carbonate, mixed rare earth carbonate for customer assessment. The intention being to send some of that off to potential com- uh, customers, I guess. Absolutely. And uh, they, they, they sit both uh, internationally and domestically. As you know, the Australian government has been um, uh, encouraging rare earth companies or critical minerals companies to do more processing onshore. Uh, there's a couple sitting out there at the moment uh, in in the market that have stated their intentions to to produce separated rare earth oxides. Uh, they may be prepared to take a mixed rare earth carbonate feedstock from a company like ours, um, and those are the sorts of organisations we'll talk to domestically. And there are some uh, internationally that, that that are also prepared to take that feedstock. So it's really important for us once we do produce samples of mixed rare earth carbonate to place it in the hands of these refiners uh, and try and understand exactly where we sit uh, in relation to our impurity levels. Of course, by that point in time, they have to be very, very low to meet specifications because that material will eventually find its way into rare earth permanent magnets. And and I can uh, can assure you that the, um, uh, the specification requirements for uh, rare earth oxides, which is a step beyond which we'll be going uh, to to uh, to go into a rare earth permanent magnet, are very very onerous. So it's important for us to get uh, our mixed rare earth carbonate product, which is the first uh, entry point for companies like heavy rare earths into the rare earth supply chain, to get the specifications, uh, particularly as they relate to impurity elements, down to levels that allow uh, the refiner to um, uh, to work with our product and you know, they themselves make money out of it. Now, you came to the market with a uh, resource under your belt at uh, Carolina, 28 million tonnes at 625 parts per million with the, uh, the right uh, permanent magnet sort of uh, counts in there. But I was just wondering, is there up, ups, potential to uh, upsize the, uh, the resource space? Uh, you know, question, we... Um, so the, uh, the important work stream we're talking about today is, of course, the metallurgy. On the resource side of things, um, yes, you're right, we came to market with a, with a, a modest resource. Uh, we have since drilled uh, 12,500 metres in 441 holes uh, between September and December last year. 
All of that material has been reported to the ASX uh, during um, uh, January through to April of, uh, of this year. Um, we got a lot of a uh, lot of really really good hits along the way, uh, including you know, 19 meters at uh, 3,190 ppm total rear rows, 14 at 1278, uh, 10 at 1580. Lots and lots of uh, lots and lots of good hits uh, um, that that are far far better than our average resource grade. All of that material is now sitting, uh, all of the assays and supporting materials sitting with a resource consultant. And uh, he'll be turning that around into a uh, into an updated resource estimate for us. Um, we're expecting to see a material increase in our resources for the project uh, through that process, and we're also expecting to see an expiration target uh, declared for the project because, in addition to um, to uh, really really good drill hits in and around our current resources over an area of around thirty to thirty five square kilometres. We also got some far field hits about 14 kilometres away from our current resource, um, including uh, intercepts like 12 metres at 1690 ppm. Um, so really good, thick, high-grade hits uh, a long way away from our resource, which gives us scope for an expiration target for the, uh, for the tenement. And um, we're expecting to have that all wrapped up and reported to the ASX uh, by the end of the current quarter. I see you've expanded your horizons a bit too. You've uh, picked up a... Uh, some uh, Greenfields projects in uh, the Northern Territory, uh, the Duke Rare Earth Project. Tell us a bit about that. The uh, Duke Rare Earth Project, we, we came to market with that one as well. At that point in time, they were just application stage. Uh, they've since, the two, two tenements have since been granted. We've done a quick reconnaissance visit out there in April to check access uh, on the ground. It was quite successful and uh, we will be on the ground in early August uh, with uh, first phase exploration at Duke. Um, again, it's a rare earth focused project and first phase for us means uh, quite a large soil uh, sampling program on the ground and, and also a little bit of helicopter supported stream sediment work in, in other parts of the project area, which are, which are uh, less accessible by vehicle. So that's quite exciting. Um, on the ground for the first time in a meaningful way, um, exploring an area that's never been looked at for rare earth. So our expectations are, uh, are high, but let's sort of see how things go. That's uh, real grassroots exploration. In addition to that, we've also uh, picked up two um, projects in Western Australia. We've, we've gone out and, um, and acquired them ourselves. It's the cheapest way to, um, to acquire projects, peg them yourself. And those are going through the grant stage right now. Uh, two projects, one about 300 kilometres northeast of Perth, uh, near Perendry, and a second one uh, about 100 kilometres from Mount Magnet, so even further to the northeast. And those two projects, again, uh, about the same size as uh, both Duke and Kaolinia in terms of um, in terms of land position. Uh, they again have a have a rare earth focus on them. Again, uh, those two particular areas have never had any rare earth um, exploration done, nor, and believe it or not, we're in Western Australia here, uh, Barry, uh, nor have they seen any drilling. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to, I know it's hard to believe, yeah. but um, that stunned us. We've got some ideas as to how we might go about exploring those areas. So that's, uh, that's coming up uh, once, once we're able to, uh, to get on the ground after ground. And you've taken, the, obviously, a... Uh a view that uh, diversify the actual type of deposit you're looking for. I think those ones in WA are ionic types and 
The ones in the Northern Territory are more the uh, phosphate mineral type, yeah? That's right, yeah. So the one in the Territory is more along the lines of um, the Brown's Range style, uh, that, uh, that project from Northern Minerals in Western Australia. There, the um, the host of the rare earths is Zenotime, so that's a that's a yttrium phosphate mineral, and um, it also happens to be have uh, uh, um, show uh, high concentrations of heavy rare earths, so dysprosium, terbium, uh, those those types of rare earths. So we'd be very very keen to uh, exploit our ground for that style of deposit. But there's also some um, some saprolite hosted um, opportunities up in the territory as well. So on on the project so yeah we'll be keeping an eye out for different styles but the 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 focus very much remains on rare earths uh i can assure our listeners of that now richard the uh, million dollar question um company's obviously very technically proficient has a resource under its belt exploration target not far off real progress on the metallurgical front adding to the the portfolio in the right sort of uh rare earths the, the magnet metals more or less confirming that, uh, well, I can say it, uh, it looks like you've got an economic uh, project on your hands. Why is the market cap so low, 7.5 mil? I think that the market is struggling to deal with the number of rare earth projects that have been hitting in the last six to 12 months. Good point. I'm not making a call on those projects. I'm, I'm just making a call on the number that are sitting out there. I can barely keep up with them. I had a conversation just yesterday with another person who's, who's in the rare earth space and he's similarly uh, struggling to keep up with them. <laughs> so I just think that there's, there's just sort of overload and uh, I think the market just doesn't know what's good, what's bad, which way's up, which way's down. Is it going places? Is it not? What style is it? How do you process it? Everyone's an expert. Who are the experts? All those sorts of things sort of begin to impact the way the market views not just our stock, but many, many, many stocks out there who are um, who are turning their hand at rare earths. And um, uh, it's a tough business. And I guess all I can say in our defence is, um, look, we uh, we're focused on on the task at hand. I think you probably wrapped up um, uh, the way in which you describe us just before you asked me this question. Um, so I thank you for that. <laughs> but yeah, all I can say is I think that we're moving very, very much in the right direction with our main project. We have other projects, of course, sitting on the horizon. They're more grassroots, but uh, the focus remains on rare earths. And we have a team that uh, that I strongly believe um, uh, knows how to keep its focus and to focus on what's necessary to move the project forward. So there we go, folks. Um, as Richard mentioned, I did give a quick summary there of my thoughts on the company. But um, rare earths always an interesting space. We uh, everyone's sort of on the edge of the chair. See what the Chinese industry does uh, in September with the quota system they have there. Will there be retaliation against the US uh, for gallium and uh, germanium? We don't know. But what we do know is that in the long term, more and more of this stuff is going to be needed in a large scale. And the Western world is looking for projects like Carolina and others to fill that void. So with that, Richard, thanks for your time today. Interesting story as always, and uh, best of luck with it all. Thank you very much, Barry. Cheers.